I love meeting people who see a need and they fill it. They see an area that they can specialize in or an area that is underserved in the business world, and they just do it. They don't make excuses. They don't come up with reasons why it won't work. They just go for it. They find solutions, not excuses. They make a way instead of just saying that it can't be done. My guest today saw a need to elevate the voices of social impact companies and decided to fill it. Welcome to Business with Purpose. I'm your host, Molly Stillman of Still Being Molly, and this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, companies, and small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I interview an entrepreneur, CEO, nonprofit director, community leader, or just an amazing person who's trying to make a positive impact not only through their personal life, but also with their professional career. My goal is to show you that no matter what you do for a living, you can make an impact right where you are. My guest this week is Cassia Binkowski, the founder of 1K Creative, a full-service studio that works to tell a story for companies and social impact brands that have a social change component. This was a really fun conversation. I had the best time chatting with her, and I really felt like I was just hanging out with a friend, and I know you're going to love it. So without further ado, on to my conversation with Cassia. Hey, Cassia, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Yes, I'm so excited because not only are you a fellow creative, um, but you are now a fellow podcaster, which I am like all about the women in podcasting. So... So fun. I mean, it's a totally new medium for us to use as a studio, but we're having a blast doing it. Yeah, yeah. So um, there's just, you are doing so many things. And so I want to hear about all of them. And so I'm not even going to waste any time with like my digressions, because that's usually what ends up happening is I'm like, let me digress down this rabbit hole. Um, So we're going to (laughs) kick it right off with you, Cassia, giving us the Cassia 101. So tell us your story and how you got to where you are today with 1K Creative and the Good and Social podcast and just in general in your life. Yeah. So it's a very uh, circuitous route that I've taken. Um, So I grew up in the Midwest. I have a huge family, four sisters, one brother. We were always raised to kind of believe we could you know, be whatever we wanted to be. And we had parents who supported us, um, you know, kind of till the cows came home. And But I never really had any examples of professional artists in my life. So I was surrounded by business owners, um, real estate professionals, m- medical professionals, but, but really very few examples of what a professional artist could look like and what a career as a creative could look like. And mm-hmm. so Fast forward a few years, and I, I always loved science. Um, I thought I was going to be a doctor, but as I was going through college, my oldest sister was going through medical school, and I realized that there was no way in hell I had the passion for that field um, <laughs> to ever survive medical school. So thank God for that. Um, and so I ended up, long story short, spending a little bit of time in Eastern Africa while kind of picking my career path. And had my eyes thrown wide open to what poverty looked like. And I had never really experienced it before. Um, I had traveled a lot domestically growing up, but very little internationally and and certainly not to any low-income countries. And um, so that was my first real exposure to social injustice on a very personal, um, intimate level. And at that point, I decided to kind of take my love of science and um, go up the system level and take a look at public health. So I wanted to look at the community systems, the social systems that were influencing health outcomes, and that became fascinating to me. 
Um, so I ended up getting my master's of public health. I spent several years working for global health organizations around the world, mostly in the maternal and child health space. And when my husband and I decided to move from Seattle, which is the global health mecca, if you will, of the United States, to Boulder, Colorado, which is where we knew we wanted to be and to raise a family, but is really a global health desert, I had to start to get creative. And so I took um, the best opportunity at that point that came my way, and I sidestepped from program design within social impact organizations to communications design. So I was hired as a creative director, communications director for a nonprofit that was doing education work in Guatemala. The context of the organization and the impact it was having was something I was very familiar with, very comfortable in. The type of work that I was going to be responsible for looked very different. I had never done communications um, and marketing on a professional level before, but it was a, a small, scrappy organization that kind of trusted my background and my knowledge of the cultural context that they were working in. So that opened the door for me. And I loved it. Like I fell totally in love with the creative field. For the first time, I had zero professional training. I was learning um, at just like a breakneck pace, which I think I, I loved and found fascinating. Um, and I finally got to put to work all of these creative inclinations that I had had growing up and never really had a professional outlet for. And so fast forward, long story short, a few years into working in-house for this organization, I started to get a lot of inquiries from other organizations around saying, we love the design work you're doing. You've got a, you know, a killer communication strategy for this nonprofit. Can you help us? And at that point in time, I realized if these organizations who were doing world-changing work, you know, who had an incredible amount of urgency and um, the stakes were really high, if they were willing to trust me to do their communications, um, to produce content, to design, write, photograph on their behalf, when I was never professionally trained in these mediums, mm -hmm. that surely there was a niche to be had for a studio um, that aggregated all of this professional talent and served social impact organizations exclusively. And so that was six years ago. I founded, it was then 1000 Design, it's now 1K Creative. So we're a full service creative studio dedicated to telling stories of social change. So we work with clients who have a social or environmental mission. We don't care if they're nonprofit, for-profit, government program, corporate social responsibility initiative, um, but it has to be a cause that we care about and we produce the creative content that drives their audiences towards action. I love the roundabout way that you just like, you know, you were saying how like you were surrounded by all of these just kind of what we think of as like professional professionals, yes. you know, like these kind of more traditional um, career paths. And you really felt a longing to be in a creative field, but then also had this passion for science. And then and then just how they all kind of interconnected. And it's funny because um, do you mind if I ask how old are you? I am 30. How old am I? I'm 32. I, okay. I'm it's like, okay. Uh. I do that all the time because I'm like, how old am I? The other day, yeah. somebody's like, how old are you? I was like, uh, carry the one. Um, I <laughs> yeah, am totally. uh, 30. I'm 33. Um, so, yeah. Just so, we're about the same age. And it's so yeah. funny because over it, it's really taken me, well, not 33 years because let's be honest, I haven't really thought about it until the last, I don't know, probably five to six years consciously. But I've really struggled over time, like with, okay, I have all these different passions. I have all these different skill sets. Um, you know, I was a musical theater major at, at, when I started, and then I ended up being an English major. But then I have a background in sketch and improv comedy. And I was, you know, I was a creative writer and all of these things. And like, so over time, I, I just think about, oh, and I worked in politics for a little bit. Like, 
it's naturally. like my, my yeah, I was a high school teacher. Like I have a very wide, diverse, you know, background. And so for a long time, I just kept being like, God, what are you doing to me? Like, why are you having me do all these different things? Like, why am I you know, in this roundabout way learning what my true drive and passion and purpose is? And I realized that today as somebody who like I'm a blogger and a podcaster and a wife and a mom and all these things but then like I think about how I'm able to use all of the skill sets that I gained over the years you know from um you know from being a creative writing major in college I obviously write on a daily basis and so I have that skill set that I use and then the skills that I gained studying improvisational comedy you know I use those skills definitely every single day, especially when I am interviewing and, and uh, you know, doing podcasting yeah. and, um, you know, when I am speaking and teaching. And so it's funny, like how all those things, they seem like they are completely unrelated. And yet here they are. And I'm using all of those skill sets that I have in, in my back pocket. Um, and so I love how you just you just sort of took all of those skill sets that you gained and then now you're really pouring them in to a larger purpose. Um, and so you you said you started off as 1000 Design. And what was what was the transition from 1000 Design? What was like because I know so often with entrepreneurs, you start the business with one idea and then you get into it and realize like, oh, I'm actually supposed to be doing this. And so it kind of transitions or it evolves over time what was the original intention with 1000 design and how did it transition to 1k creative it's a great question so i think you know the the original vision was the same i always wanted to build a creative studio that was bigger than myself um, that had a lot of different talent in-house to work with social impact brands so that vision remained true but i think when i launched originally the um feasibility of that felt so big and so far away that we started really building our expertise and building our clientele in the design niche. Um, and so we were in the design industry. We were pretty much only doing writing and graphic design for a while there. And then fast forward five years and photography and filmmaking has become a huge part of our work mm. and something that really sets us apart. You know, we're not just a design studio anymore and that name became really limiting. Um, and so it wasn't, you know, it was it was a size factor. It was a kind of finally owning our full potential and feeling comfortable to to claim that we're doing more than design because we very much are at this point. It was also, um, you know, the rebrand was in part driven by the fact that client work is only a piece of what we do now. So we also do these larger studio productions, documentary filmmaking is, is a field that we're getting into. We're now podcasting. So there's, we're looking constantly looking for outlets to use our creative talent yeah. to influence social conversations. And it's, again, it's no longer just design. And that name just felt um, like such a, a yeah. limiting factor on kind of where we could go and what we could do. Yeah. And maybe this is like an overly simplistic question, but where did the 1000 piece come from? <laughs> no, it's like the deep, dark secret that Ooh, I'm always like embarrassed it. to say out loud. No, I like it. Um, so when I was working in-house as the director of communications for the nonprofit and really itching to go out on my own to build this studio, I um, was completely hung up on the name and I'm a total perfectionist. And again, I had never really done the creative field professionally. And so I there was just felt like the stakes were really high and I was out of my league and all of the emotions that any new entrepreneur feels when they're launching that next thing. 
shopping. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I spent months trying to figure out what the name was going to be and had like put so much pressure on myself to, to nail that. And finally, my husband, husband pinned me down and was like, you just need to pick a name and you need to pick it now. And then you need to go online before you go to bed tonight and register the LLC. Like get this done. You can rebrand. Guess what we just did. Um, he was right. And, and so he, he kind of pushed me over the edge and was like, just pick whatever's on the top of the list right now. And at that point in time, what was on top of the list was 1000 words, a a picture's worth a thousand words. Mm. So we are a storytelling studio and that's the, you know, kind of the oldest, most well-known storytelling adage. Um, at least in the States. And so that's kind of what's stuck. That's where the 1000 comes from. I like it. Ooh, yeah. It does have like a, like a deep, you're just like on the surface, you're like, ah, oh, a thousand. And then you're like, Ooh, I like, <laughs> I like the meaning. Uh, so when you first got started and you began, how did you, in those early days, because obviously any time a new entrepreneur is, or an entrepreneur in general is stepping out on their own, pursuing this particular dream or business or whatever it is, it can be a little scary. So what did you do in the beginning? What was, what was your early strategy? Did you already have a client base? Did you know who you were going to reach out to? What did those early days look like? That's a good question. You know, and and it is scary. Like growing up is scary. Starting a career is scary. Building a business is scary. Being a mother is scary, right? Like any of those big milestones are terrifying and it's easy to be paralyzed by that. Um, When I finally formed the studio, launched it, started to pull in the talent that I wanted to work with. Um, I was fortunate to have a really small base of clients that had, I'd been kind of freelancing with on the side while working full time. Um, and so those I launched and stepped out of my full-time job when I had enough guaranteed income to replace that salary. So that was kind of my threshold for being like, okay, you know, at least I have a year's worth of runway committed. Um, I will be fine. And if not, then we'll figure out the next thing 12 months from now. And so that was my safe spot. Um, and it, and it, and it worked. Do you think the other thing that I knew when I started was I, you know, regardless of, of which ways the studio grew, which types of, um, projects we took on, which mediums we explored. The one thing I knew for sure is I wanted to stay really true to the social impact space. So I only wanted to work with social impact organizations. And at first that meant a lot of nonprofits. That's where the network was at the time. Um, it's since grown way beyond that. And, I think having the clarity of knowing who I was going to say no to made a big difference. Like I never considered the jobs that were for traditional for-profit businesses that didn't have a social or environmental mission, you know, embedded within the DNA of their, of their company. Um, and so it was just like, that was just a great filter. I didn't look for those jobs. I wasn't applying, responding to those RFPs. Um, and, and it meant the growth was slower, right? That cut out a huge portion of a potential market. Um, but it also meant the niche was kind of refined from the very beginning. Yeah, absolutely. That is really cool. Uh, and now you have ventured into, like you said earlier, you ventured into the podcasting realm. So talk to us about the podcast because, I, like I said earlier at the beginning, like I love cheering on other fellow podcasters. And um, so what was, um, what's the podcast? Tell us all about it and why did you decide to start it? You are so sweet. Thank you. So Good and Social is a series of conversations with social and environmental innovators from across industries. So we're actually speaking with a ton of the same individuals that you've spoken with, spoken with, excuse me. Um, (laughs) 
you know, language. It's, it yeah, really comes cool. naturally. Yeah, it's totally fine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we are sharing the stories of how they're disrupting industries in order to have a social or environmental impact. So we're again, we're looking across nonprofit, for-profit government programs, um, and we are looking for industry disruptors and sharing what they're doing, what's inspiring them to do that, and what kind of impact they're having. Um, and I think, you know, the drive for it was like, there's, God, there's so many, so many reasons to have done it. One is, you know, blogging always felt like as a creative, my big regret is like, why didn't I get into that earlier? You know, I'm such a missed opportunity. It feels too late to the game to get into it now. What's next? And podcasting is, is there right now. It's hot right now. It's a really quickly growing medium. It's a great way to reach a really, really wide audience. Yeah. Um, it also is a really easy ask of big name brands that you want to build relationships with, you know, whose stories you want to share, but you might not be ready to pitch them for services or you might not be the right fit for this or that reason. Yeah. It still gives you a direct line to those individuals. And I think that feels that is a real privilege and an honor to get to share those stories. Um, you know, and then I think as a creative, like it's it's always fun to test a new medium, to learn a new discipline. Yeah. And podcasting, you know, is is an application of using language to tell a story, which is something I'm passionate about. That's my particular skill set within the studio, within our team. And this is just a new way to do it. It's not the written word, it's the spoken word. And that's a fun, creative challenge. And it's stimulating and scary and and invigorating and terrifying all at the same time, as yeah. you well know. Yeah, absolutely. There was actually a really interesting, and I will be honest, I feel really terrible that I don't remember which podcast I heard this on, but I was listening to, because I listened to a ton of podcasts, and I was listening to this one particular podcast one day, and they were talking about, uh, I mean, it was just something pretty basic about um, a newsletter, like in a way to engage your your community through your newsletter, um, and she had a really interesting idea that I have yet to implement, but I was like, that's a really good idea. I don't know how I'm going to do it, um, but I'm going to do that. And it was talking about how like in your welcome email to new newsletter signups to have some type of either video or audio component in it. And that's because like when you are connecting with somebody and like somebody gives you their email address, like that's a personal thing. Um, That's a personal ask for them to come for you to come into their inbox. And they if they've never heard your voice or seen your face and seen your face and heard your voice at the same time then they are going to read your emails to them in in their voice so they're going to like their voice has baggage so like their voice is um you know if they've had a bad day they're going to read your email in whatever like negative negative mindset that they're currently in um oh, that's so interesting and so true yes and so like if you but if you instead like in that welcome email yes have text but then have some little like audio component or have a little welcome video or something like that, then they then connect your written word with your speaking voice. And so like there's power, like you were saying, in the spoken word and people connect with because it's so hard. People always say like, oh, it's so hard to convey emotion or the the message a particular message you're trying to convey over you know text message or on social media things can be misconstrued because you don't hear the person's tone or see their face or something like that and I was just like that is a brilliant idea and I, again if I 
sometime between when we are recording this and when this episode goes live, I will try and find the podcast episode I was listening to so that I can give them credit in the show yes, notes. Yes, absolutely. This is not my I idea. Mean, yeah, it's so interesting. I think it's, I mean, right. It's like, it's like finally seeing a, a picture of that NPR correspondent you've listened yes. to years and being like, what? Yes. That's not the voice I had in my head. That's yeah. not the image of the person I had conjured up. Um, but it's, I think that's so interesting as a means to kind of cut through the baggage. And I think, yeah. you know, the, the point you made about the, um, kind of how personal it is to show up in somebody's inbox is so true. We were speaking with Amy Ann Cadwell, who's a friend and colleague we interviewed a few weeks back. She's the um, founder and and chief editor at The Good Trade. Mm -hmm. And she was saying how it's such a privilege and it's so intimate to show up in somebody's inbox on a daily basis. And they are constantly kind of weighing that intimacy um, in every piece of content that they choose to send via email. And it was such a kind of a sweet and sacred way to look at that privilege and to look at the content that we're producing as organizations on behalf of organizations. Um, and it, it's just a different weight to consider. It's yeah. not, you know, it's not just a marketing tool, right. um, but it's a real kind of personal connection. And, yeah. and what does that mean? And what, what do you want to put forward? Yeah, it really made me rethink like how I approach any type of email correspondence I send out to my subscribers and like made me think about like, man, what's a way that I can make that connection more personal? Because I, you know, over the past 11, gosh, 11 and a half years as I have been blogging, um, you know, and, and podcasting for two and a half years, like, I, I don't think I've ever, you know, I, I one thing that I think I've done really well um, and a strength of mine is I have built a really strong sense of community with the people. Like, I have people that read my blog now that have read it like pretty much since the beginning and so they've really seen my you know uh, evolution over time Mm -hmm. and they it's just it's really cool because I've never met these people in person but they feel like friends Um, they comment on things regularly and so I love that sense of community Um, but sometimes I forget about that when it comes to like my email newsletter and I realize this sounds like such a basic thing for people listening and you're like really are you guys talking about this like much in an email newsletter yes Um, (laughs) and then on the flip side like that is something that I have been really intentional about with the podcast Um, but then for a while you know I became so focused you know just in in two and a half years of podcasting I've learned so much Um, and I have learned you know, how to make it a little bit more personal and intimate and get feedback from listeners on what are the types of interviews they want to hear? What are the types of interviews that resonate with them the most? And then one of the things that I never thought I would do, but I started implementing this year was solo episodes. Um, because for so long, I was just like, well, I mean, the interview, the, the epi- this podcast isn't about me. Like this podcast is about my guests. And I want to, and actually at the end of the day, like some people may disagree with me, Um but I, when I went to a podcasting conference uh, a year and a half ago or so, um, one of the things they said is, ac- actually, while you are interviewing somebody, your podcast actually is about you because you are the common thread that your listeners come back to every week. Yes, they want to hear about the, your guest. Yes, they want to hear about that person's company or whatever it is you're interviewing about them. But the reason they listen to it is because of you. It's so true. And that's so funny because I, we, my co-host and I are are in this place right now where we're like, oh no, we will never do that. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the same way you were two years ago. And and 
of course I hear that now from so many different hosts across so many different channels. And, and I think it's probably inevitable that that time will come and that that voice will find its space. Um, but I want to, I would love to go back and talk for a second about, about that community building thing. Cause I think all of, all of this digital content that we're all producing, whether, you know, you're blogging and podcasting, we're producing a ton of creative content across channels for various brands. And, um, it's, it all comes back to that sense of building community. And I think as social impact storytellers, I think that's where we find, um, kind of our real motivation is how do you close the gap? How do you build personal connection where there isn't actually physical connection? Um, you know, and maybe that's a photo in, in an audio clip and an email. Um, you know, maybe that's a, a film to give a behind the scenes glance of, of production, you know, happening in, in a completely different country, whatever the case may be. But I think that's what we find so motivating is like, how do you build connection where there isn't physical connection? Um, you know, how do you evoke some sort of emotional reaction, uh, to a product or to a cause when somebody may or may not have been directly impacted by it? And I think that's, that's the constant challenge. And that's kind of the storytelling sweet spot that we love. And, and you've done a brilliant job building that with your podcast and your blog. Um, and I think that's something, you know, we're constantly trying to emulate for other brands. Yeah. And I've learned, honestly, I I say all the time, like, I am constantly learning. And I teach a lot of classes on blogging. And um, I always say, like, I say this at the beginning of the class. I'm like, if y'all came to hear from an expert, you're in the wrong class. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and I say that with, you know, also to make them to laugh and lighten the mood a little bit. But I also say that with, with genuine sincerity. And a lot of times I, 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 I think I've said this on the podcast before, but anybody who says they're an expert is probably lying um, and in anything. Um, and the reason I say that, with the exception of like maybe Civil War history, like things that have happened and like there's nothing that's going to change. Nothing can be debated about it. Totally. But I even believe like medical experts is false. You have people. Yes, it's changing too quickly. It's changing too quickly. There's no way that anyone can be an expert in social media. I'm sorry if you say you're an expert in social media. (laughs) I love that. I disagree because literally it changes every day. Um, Medical things change every day. Yes, you can know a lot and you can have a lot of experience and share your experience. But I, I believe that there are no real experts in a lot of those evolving industries for the reason that it is it is quite literally impossible to keep up with the changes. Any one person can't do it. It's true. And I think that what that's what we find so invigorating, what I find so invigorating about the social impact industry, if you will. You know, there's so many different business models now within mm-hmm. that. But there is a lot of humility there. Yeah. You know, yes. all of the leaders and whether they're nonprofit founders or business execs that we that we speak with and work with, um, you know, they're so humble about mm-hmm. the work that they're doing. Yeah. And they're so quick to own up to the fact that that this is new and yeah. you know, by nature of their work, they're innovating and testing and trying, and it's gonna require iterations and they're learning as they go. And they they really own that. And I it feels so human and it feels so honest. Yeah. Um, I don't know what your experience has been in the social impact space, but I know that I agree. Like, those are all the brands you focus on. And it's just this common thread that we find again and again and again. Yes, absolutely. I mean, and I and I think that's one of the reasons I, I connect with and resonate so much with with people like that um, and love them and look up to them. Um, but one of the things that I was going to say also is just like while the medium changes, while the technology changes, while the algorithms change, whatever it is, you know, if today the hot thing is podcasting, even though podcasting has been around 
for a, a, over a decade. Um, you know, you have podcasting that's quote unquote new when it's really not actually new. Right, exactly. Um, but things go in waves. I mean, I remember when I started blogging, email newsletters were a huge thing. And everybody was like, you have to have an email newsletter. And then like a couple years into blogging, everybody's like, eh, email's dead, blah, 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 blah. Well, guess what everybody's <laughs> talking about again? Email newsletters. And so like, that's why it just, it changes so quickly. And so while the mediums change, the technology changes, um, you know, the creative space changes, the thing that does not change and is built so deeply within the fabric of our society and our humanity since the beginning of time, like, in my personal beliefs, like since the like God created us for community. And so community is one of those things that has not changed. And and I have learned that so much this year um, and been reminded of, you know, because sometimes I get a little frustrated, um, not with other people, but I think with myself in this um, this constant tug to feel like, okay, do I need to be like, quote unquote, keeping up with the Joneses? And do I need to do what like all those other people are doing? But I don't. And I realize like, I'm going to do what I know I do well. And so I what I know I do well is build community around my space. I can't control Instagram algorithms. I can't control Facebook page algorithms. I can't control iTunes algorithms with podcasting. I can't control what Google Google does. But what I can control is my own community. And I've learned that this year as or in really I learned that in 2018 as we walked through the loss of our our two sons um, during pregnancy and as we walked through that, I had blog readers who have been reading my blog for, like I said, almost almost the entire time I've been blogging, 11 years, like sending us gifts, like sending us gift cards for meals. Like these are strangers from the internet that I've never met. And they were writing us cards, like sending gifts to my kids, like books, things like that. And I'm just like, y'all, who does that? And I was like, I felt so unbelievably grateful. And I really don't say that to be like hashtag humble brag. Like I say that as like a genuine, oh my gosh, this is what community can look like online. And so how do we as business owners create that sense of community within our own spheres of influence? Because guess what? We can control that. We can't control Everything else, like I was saying earlier, but we can control our community. And I realized I just went on a very kind of long tangent. So I'm really sorry, Cassie. <laughs> Don't apologize. It's it's so true. And there's, I mean, there, God, there's so many things you just said that I think um, we could have a, a dozen separate episodes about <laughs> from, you know, motherhood to miscarriage to fertility to, you know, business ownership. Like, God, there's so much there. But, um, but yeah, that community piece, how do you build it? How do you inspire it? How do you create a sense of, you know, emotional belonging when there is no physical connection yeah. is is a real challenge. And I think what I find really exciting about it is that it takes me right back to my um, public health roots. You know, it takes me back to how do you cross cultures? How do you bridge those communication gaps? What are the what are the sensitivities you need to be aware of? And all of these things that you can learn um, about any community, whether you're in it um, physically or not. And learning it, knowing it, and then figuring out how to build a sense of connection um, in spite of it, in spite of those nuances and those sensitivities, I think is a real 
it kind of like it's it's a sweet spot and when you do it well and you see it come together and you reap the benefits and your kids are being sent you know small mementos and um you know you're receiving meals when times are hard like that's amazing yeah so how do we translate that for other brands and how do we um inspire larger audiences to care about the brands and to feel truly connected to those brands that Mm -hmm. are creating change that are moving this planet forward that are operating more you know ethically and responsibly and i think that's that's what we are constantly challenged to do. And some days, some days it comes easily and we kill it. And some days, you know, we're learning trial and error. Um, yeah. Well, I think one of the things uh, feels was, like a privilege. Yeah. One of the things that you mentioned about social impact brands and the reason that you love social impact impact brands is that humanity piece. And I think that's one of the reasons that people can feel so connected to social impact brands is because there is this human element that feels different than, say, when you shop at a Target. Um, I love Target. Don't you get me wrong, y'all. Um, but there's that there's that humanity that we feel a connection to when it comes to social impact brands. And um, I, I truly do believe, you know, for, for those that are listening that think that, oh, well, you're a blogger. So, and you know, innately it's a, it can be a, an intimate thing with a, with an online community. And I'm going to say, no, I, I believe it's possible for any business. It's just in how you choose to approach it. Um, another business owner who I believe does this really well is Caitlin James um, of Caitlin James Photography. I had her on the podcast a couple years ago. She's a dear friend. Um, but she talks about this all the time about how she used her wedding photography business to build like she has evangelists in all of her clients because of the way that she has built her personal brand around her business. Whereas a lot of photographers will approach their photography business as a completely separate thing from their personal life. Um, and I believe that when you when you have a healthy mix of that kind of personal and professional connection, you can do so much. Um, and then, uh, you know, but, you know, you look at, let's just go, you know, one of the more commonly known social impact brands, Tom's, like, Mm-hmm. Tom's users, Tom people who wear Tom's shoes are evangelists for that brand. Absolutely. And they are it's so hardcore. It's so true. And I think, you know, you look at it's I think what's one of the interesting things that it, that any business owner um, needs to consider is, is how much to bleed those personal and professional lines and how much of their own face and their own story is woven into that. Because I think finding that humanity um, behind a brand doesn't necessarily have to mean the humanity and the story of the founder or the leader or the staff. Um, you know, you look at Barrett Ward, uh, founder of Able. Yeah, and, I love Barrett. Barrett's great. And they do a brilliant job um, with their communications and their storytelling. And, you know, I'm a diehard fan of the brand and the faces and the stories behind the producers of those products. But Barrett, Barrett's story is really nowhere to be found in there. Um, you know, they've made a strategic choice to keep his story mostly out of it mm-hmm. and focus on the stories of the producers themselves. You know, Carly at Tribal Lives, another great example. Yeah. Um, you know, so there's a human human element there that doesn't necessarily have to be in the founder's story, mm-hmm. but could be in the producers, could be in the community stories that, you know, that's being that are being changed, that are being impacted. Um, but I think finding that human thread is such a critical element of the social impact storytelling and making these, you know, otherwise really intimidating 
social and environmental issues um, to which some of us are personally connected and some of us aren't, you have to humanize them a little bit. You have to make them feel personal, even if somebody hasn't been directly impacted yet. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you, I mean, not I think, you you do bring up a incredible point about it doesn't necessarily have to be the connection has to be around your founder. So if you're a larger company or a company that's working with a lot of different artists and groups or something like that, you can make the connection, that community connection around connecting your consumers to the impact that they're having with the artisans um, and that connection there. Um, or I love the way um, Noonday actually paints this mm-hmm. very well. Um, and Jessica has really stayed out of the spotlight for a long time and has really in the last year kind of come more into the forefront of the Noonday brand um, with the launch of her book. But one of the things that I think that they do really well is they really talk about connecting their business owners, their Noonday um, you know, ambassadors here in the United States with the stories of their artisans and the business owners that they partner with and connecting that sort like you are a business owner who, you know, a noonday ambassador here who's owning your own business and selling the products here in the United States and building your community while this other artisan that we're partnering with in Vietnam is doing the exact same thing. And so how do we find those common threads between the two things? That's just such a powerful connection tool. It is. And it's, and it's fun. You know, we love doing it, getting to close that gap, um, and getting to create a sense of connection across, you know, incredible geographic barriers Mm -hmm. and, and distance is, is a really fun challenge. And I think when it works, we, you know, we've just pointed to a handful of brands that do it so well when it works, it pays off, you know, it, it really sells. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So what is on the horizon for 1K Creative and the Good and Social podcast, you know, here in 2019? Oh, it's a great question. You know, we're um, continuing and, and constantly trying to figure out how do we leverage our creative talents in new ways. And so, yes, the podcast is is the newest um opportunity for us. And so we'll be chasing that down. We've got a great lineup of guests over the next uh, 10 months or so. Um, But we're looking at more documentary film production. We're looking at more large scale community photojournalism um, projects. And, And beyond that, back to community is I'm trying to figure out how do we build a community of storytellers that are within those organizations already, you know, so not every social impact brand is looking to outsource that work. Um, they don't, they aren't all prospective clients for us, but they're all doing some amount of storytelling communications work. And how can we support them? What does that look like? How do we build a community of those individuals um, who are working on behalf of other brands? And that I think is a really, I don't know if it's events. I don't know if it's, you know, an online space. I, like, I'm not sure what shape it's going to take, but I think that's that's the current question that we're wrestling with is how do we go bigger than us? That is so cool. I can't wait to see all that you're doing. And I will be over here just cheering you on, girlfriend. So no, you're the best. Thanks, Molly. <laughs> um, well, Cassia, now is the time of the show where we transition a little bit just to ask you some fun, get to know you questions. And as my audience knows and loves, my amazing executive producer husband inserts a sound effect or movie clip or TV show clip of his choosing to transition us to the get to know you round and I never know what it's going to be so nothing intimidating about that <laughs> I know have you started thinking of names yet oh yeah I've come up with a bunch of ideas really me too what were you thinking okay um I was thinking if it's a girl how about Sandrine it's French Huh. that's a really pretty name for for an industrial solvent 
Okay, fine. What do you have? All right, well, it's for a boy. I know it's a little out there, but... <laughs> Darwin. Oh, my God, our, our child will be beaten to death in the schoolyard. Yeah, by Sandrine. You're just saying that because I said no to your name. I'm really, really not. <laughs> How about you each get five vetoes? All right, right. that sounds fair. Yeah. I don't think you're going to need it, though. Okay, check this out. If it's a girl, rain. Veto. Why? Rain? Hi, my name is Rain. I have my own kiln, and my dress is made out of wheat. Okay, how about for a guy? Thatcher. Ross, why do you hate our child? Fine, you go. Okay, James. Huh. But only if it's a girl. Oh, Vito. Uh, how about, ooh, I like Ruth. What about Ruth? Oh, I'm sorry. Are we having an 89-year-old? How about Dayton? Vito. Stuart. Vito. Sawyer. Vito. Helen. Vito. Is it me or is Vito starting to sound really good? Okay, so number one, uh, would you let us hook up your recently played list on Spotify or Pandora or whatever to this podcast? And if so, what would we hear? <laughs> oh, my God. That's a great question. You would hear a lot of country music. Oh, I like Take it. Take me okay. like straight back to my Midwestern roots. Can't get enough. Okay. Love it all. I like Love it. the sappy storylines. I could critique it as much as I can you know, sing praise on it. Oh, but yeah. The, the, the stories of country music just yeah. stick with me for yeah. whatever reason. I love it. Um, anyway, okay, I could I could talk about other things, but <laughs> I love it. Uh, okay, uh, next question is, if you could steal the credit for any great piece of art, song, film, a book, etc., any of those things, if you could steal credit oh for God, it, which like... one would you claim credit for? Oh, that's so hard. <laughs> the, the, the list is so long. I know. Um, you know, Mountains Beyond Mountains is a book that I, mm. that totally changed my life. Um, I read it the first time I was in Eastern Africa. It has, I think, inspired a huge generation of social innovators, especially in the medical public health field. I think that's one that jumps to mind. Um, Blood Diamond is a movie that just like struck me to my core and mm. I could still watch a thousand times over and I think it's just brilliantly produced um oh my god Molly I could go on and on and on wow Ooh, that's good um okay I like it um what is the one beauty product you can't live without this question only the girls care about and so guys that listen to this show sorry but (laughs) (laughs) um oh my god you're asking the wrong person too I'm like the least girly girl around I'm like do I have any beauty products in my bathroom surely Uh I must Um, you know, I got turned on a couple years ago. I have like this mop of curly hair that if you ever see pictures of me on our social feeds, like it's always completely out of control. I've never been able to tame it or figure it out. Uh, I just recently gave up caring. Um, but I discovered like this great sea salt spray, which I thought was a total like sham in a bottle, but it works. Well, you should talk to uh, Bethany Tran, founder of The Root Collective. Um, Ooh, yeah. She's amazing. Bethany's one of my nearest and dearest friends. Um, but Bethany, for years, had straightened her hair. And within the last year, has started doing the curly girl method. Oh, and yeah. I've heard about not tried it. Yes. And so you should talk to her about it. I have straight hair, oh. so I can't speak on it. Um, but, yeah, you should talk to Bethany because she transitioned to the curly girl method. And it was like... 
I know it was a little bit of a struggle at first, but now she loves it and wears her hair natural. And uh, yeah, you should talk to her about it because she is, she does the curly girl method. Her hair looks amazing now. So, Sold. <laughs> and she is a social entrepreneur. So you should just talk. I was going to say, Bethany, I'm looking you up because she is great. Um, okay, so and then my last question that I ask all my guests is, what are you most grateful for today? Mm, I think right now I'm most grateful for my two-year-old son. Aww. Motherhood, I think, has opened up and inspired a whole different level of of empathy and, you know, deep, deep concern and passion for this planet and these people. And um, that that's all attributed to him. I love it. What is his name? Miles. Miles. Oh, Miles. Yeah. How, and when's his birthday? <laughs> he's August 1st. Oh, OK, so, cool. So he's yeah. just a couple months. Yeah, he's like a little less than six months younger than my my two and a half year old. So yeah, my totally two and a half so. year old's almost when I say two and a half. I'm like, what? He's gonna be three in February. <laughs> <laughs> you just, can say two and a half until that until day. he turns three. Yeah, he's still two and a half. Like I just yeah. Oh, man, he's just that's a good year. He's the best. Um, I mean, my five year old. I love my, obviously my five year old daughter, too. Um, And she's amazing. But I love people say like terrible twos. And I will I will say my son in the last like few months his he's entered that like stage that I'm like oh, three is gonna be interesting um but he is just he he's so freaking sweet he's just yeah. like I just want to like bite his cheeks off and I just like I can't oh, I can't handle how cute and sweet he is and it's just yeah it's the best absolutely <laughs> uh well Cassia this has been so much fun so thank you so much for coming on the show and taking time to tell your story and like I said earlier I'm just going to be cheering you on and wishing you all the success and I hope you have like happy new year I hope you have the best 2019 ever um and we're recording this you know before 2019 so um you know it's just like a prophetic wish for a happy new year (laughs) (laughs) thank you molly and thank you so much for having me i mean keep you are you have done a brilliant job building this community of social innovators and it's an honor to be a part of it isn't Cassie so fun? I love her vision and I love that she sets a goal and goes for it. And I love the way she is elevating other social impact companies through her work. She has been just such a great person to connect with and I'm so grateful for her. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you're a first time listener, welcome. Be sure to visit the archives for past shows featuring amazing entrepreneurs and business owners who are literally changing the world with their businesses. And if you're a regular listener of the show, thank you so much for tuning in week in and week out and thank you for your support. Be sure to head on over to iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Radio Public, or wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure you're subscribed to the show. Clicking that subscribe button helps to make sure that you never miss a new episode of the show. And while you're there, would you mind taking a moment to leave a review? Leaving a review of the show helps me to know what you're liking and how the show is personally impacting you. And if you share the show on social media, be sure to use the hashtag business with purpose podcast or tag me at still being Molly on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. This show is edited by my amazing husband and executive producer, John Stillman, and the music is by Mark Killian of Third Wheel Media. Thank you so much for listening and go do something good with purpose on purpose.